0: Straight talk about the issues you care about the most. It's LaViste and Claville, Empowerment for the Culture. Now, your hosts, Dr. Will LaViste and Dr. Eric Claville. Hey, I'm Will LaViste, he's Eric Claville. You tune into LaViste and Claville, where we tell it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective, because it's like that. And this is, we're kicking off season two. I had a wonderful season one. You'll be able to check that out. You can go and check the archives uh, on our social media at any places where you can get your podcast. But today's show is on the importance of voting. You know, this is an evergreen topic that we should always be concerned about. And we're now, again, in the election season, we're now more than ever, I think, in the past... Few elections we've seen how important the vote is, and more importantly for us as African Americans, how important the rights of the black vote is because it is absolutely under attack. And we want to spend some time in this show talking about voting history in America, also talking about the attack on the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and also look at uh, Obama versus Trump, the legacy of that, and Biden. In the future, yeah. so when you look at uh, the importance of, you know, voting, Claville, and thinking about it from a historic perspective, give us some give us some background, some some context of voting right. rights in America.
1: So, Will, look, you're exactly right. You know, voting is a topic that we should talk about often.
0: Absolutely, uh,
1: we should always vote and vote often. Take friends with you and, and, and the like. You know, on on Sundays. And mm-hmm. you know, we have voting and here in the Commonwealth, you know, we have what's called Soul Sit the Poll Sunday, right. where the legislator has opened up access to the ballot box and allow persons to vote on Sunday. Think about that. Right. You, know, you, you can take your church group after service or have a mini service on a prayer walk and go straight to vote. I yeah. mean that's I mean that's service within itself, public service, that's an opportunity for your voice to be heard, to be engaged um, at every level. Um, yeah, that's
0: uncalled. Um, that was a, that was unheard of generations ago. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a few look a few years ago, you know, right? You're talking generations, but you're act, you're actually right. You know, and is 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 that a point where you can look back mm-hmm. and say, "Wow, you know, thank God, look at where we've come from," but we have a, a much further to go. Now, when you talk about where we come from, when you talk about years ago, mm-hmm. keep in mind that as black people in this country, we only got the right to vote recently in recent history, uh, where we celebrated just a few years ago, 150 years of men's suffrage, uh, black men's suffrage, with the passage of, of course, 1314 and 15th Amendment, which gave black men right, white to vote, not women.
0: Uh, right, that's an important be- point, because a lot of people don't recognize that it was black men, and still, at that time, women, period, in the United States, did not have the right to vote, But but yes, go ahead.
1: You know, you're exactly right, because that was a point of contention Mm-hmm. Between white women, though <laughs> the, the women's suffrage moment, and which actually came, started to become the women's suffrage movement, which of course we know just uh, a year ago we celebrated 100 years of women's suffrage as a whole with the passage right. of the 19th Amendment in 1920. We celebrated that in the year 2020, uh, and which was a watershed year, really a bellwether moment for all of us right. as relates to the impact of voting in the life. So. When you talk about the history of voting, we've only received the right to vote a short time in our history. But we've only been given the protections to actually go vote in the last 50 years by the passage of the 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act. Right. Because, uh, keep in mind, right after the passage of the Civil War Amendments, you know, we went into a time period of Jim Crow, legalized segregation, uh, violence at the polls. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of these laws are still in the books in a lot of states where you have poll tax, right. grandfather clause, literacy tests, guess how many bubbles in a bar of soap, guess how many jellies in a jelly bean. Can you write and, and, and recite you know, the preamble of the Constitution? All these ludicrous roadblocks, and that's that's what they were, roadblocks to hinder the progress of America through by hindering the progress of black people and women at that time.
0: So you hold know, on, so, so so a lot of what you're saying, and a lot of times people don't recognize is that from the very beginnings of America as a nation, there has been this movement to limit who can vote. And that strain continues to exist even to today. So like what you said, in the beginnings, it was white men that had the rights to vote and make the decisions about the country and then then it was extended to black men and then it took you know still took several years for it to be extended to women but i think it's important people understand that it, it is it is a it is as america as the saying goes as apple pie to limit to attempt to limit the amount of people who can take part in the electoral process
1: well Look, you hit the nail on the head. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, we're working on a book uh, entitled The DNA of America, mm-hmm. Analyzing the U.S. Constitution. And in looking at that, I believe that what we see happening today is because mm-hmm. of the foundation that was set years ago. Right. So when you see a fight against voting rights, it's because there were groups in this, in this country that were not provided voting rights, that were not meant to have right. voting rights. Uh, you can go back to the Dred Scott case and listen read the decision of the Supreme Court justice at that time, where he simply he said, he said, simply the question is hmm. should the a group of people that were never meant to be right. a part of this country and have the rights of the Constitution be afforded that in a nutshell. That's what he said. That was the simple he said, that's the simple question in wow. Dred
0: Scott.
1: Wow. Uh, which, I say is the legal uh, case that helped to start, of course, the Civil War, uh, as opposed to the first shot at Fort Sumter in eighteen sixty-one. So when we start to again look at the attacks of where the mainstream public policy is, voting, Mm -hmm. schools, how Mm -hmm. do we fund school, public education, right? Uh, And then in, in, in the opportunity again, equitable opportunity, right? to achieve, right? So it's because the the question was, as it was during that time, were these people conceived to actually have the full rights as the country itself was created by the founders?
0: So you think about here's the nation of the freedom, justice for all. Uh, you hear that, and we've been taught that as kids coming up through school. It gives you the impression that this is a nation where you're supposed to be able to come, everybody can be fully who they are, who they want to be. they can have rep- proper representation through their the representatives. but the fact of the matter is is that there has been and continues to be this strain, this long lineage of limiting who has the full rights to participate in this great country that we call America and that and the ballot. Is such a critical part in a democracy, yeah. where you know the vote, the majority rules, as well as the minority is protected against an overwhelming majority who may, you know, just be overzealous, and and this is how our democracy is designed to work. But it's key to understand limiting who can participate has always been part of our democracy as well. Now you mentioned the. 1965 Voting Rights Act, but right now Congress is looking at the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act of 2021. Talk about the connection to the 1965 Voting Rights Act, that the John Lewis Act. John Lewis, my uh, the late John Lewis, my uh, honorable frat brother, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. He talk about that connection of his. Voting rights of the act now to the Voting Rights Act of uh, 1965.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Will. As a matter of fact, I believe that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were two of the most influential, mm-hmm. powerful, and life changing acts ever signed by the government. Why do I say that? It's because before that time, you had the ability of localities and states and, and really the federal government to a bridge or put roadblocks in front of citizens as it relates to exercising their civil rights. Right. The same thing was the case for voting. Because again, civil rights covers a lot, mm. but specifically we had to have an act for voting. Right. So that goes back to what we talk, talked about before, Will. Take a look at where the greatest attack is, right? Mm. <laughs> I mean, we had to create a separate act specifically for voting. All right. And of course, we got that. We got the Higher Education Act as well and so forth. So think about that. So in looking at that, during that time period, 19, after the passage in 1965 all the way up to really the early 2000s, before there was a case that challenged that Shelby versus, Shelby County versus Holder, i get to that in a moment. We saw a proliferation hmm. of African-Americans and women being elected to public office. Right. On the local level, school board city council, commissions, and the appointment also to what we call constitutional, well, the appointment to other positions and the election of what we call constitutional positions, right? Right. We also saw the election, high number of election of African-Americans and women on the federal level uh, in Congress, more specifically the House. Now, of course, we saw a breakthrough in the Senate. Uh, with the election of African-American uh, U.S. Senator out of Illinois, we also saw another African-American male uh, elected out of Senate Illinois, which then became uh, a president. Right. We saw the election of president. So we've seen a lot in a short time. Keep it right. 50 years, isn't it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of look up and say, oh, I'm
0: 50 now. Right. Know. I mean, you talk about, you know, you talk about people who have been here four hundred plus years, you know, in slavery, right? So 50 years for, to actually have finally become full rights as citizens. And then now to have those rights challenged, which is why we have uh, the John Lewis bill. Because talk about what happened with the 1965 Voting Rights Act and how the how the Supreme Court weakened that act.
1: Absolutely. So now, with that act, we get this challenge. We've always had challenges around the periphery, right? You know, of uh, where you could vote, polling stations, gerrymandering, of drawing districts, stuff like that. Right. So now we get to this case, Shelby County versus Holder. Of course, this was a major case. It changed the landscape of what of what we're looking at now as it relates to voting rights. So 2009, 2010, the decision comes out. And basically, what happens in this case, well, actually 2013, since it comes out, what mm-hmm. happens in this case is that the Supreme Court said that basically the formula that was utilized in order to determine mm-hmm. states that were under what's called coverage, where they had to basically, those that discriminated historically yeah. against African Americans and, and, and people of color, had to submit any change in their plans to the United States Department of Justice, Department of Civil Rights, to get embedded on what we call pre-clear. Right. So the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision broke pretty much on ideological lines, right? Right, right. Uh, basically said that, hey, look at this proliferation of African-Americans and women being elected to office. You know, we don't need this anymore because it worked. Right. Right? And then from there, if the formula was now no longer needed, so now the pre-clearance was made... Uh, inoperable and ineffective because there's no need for pre-clearance. Right? right. So now, what ends up happening is that the moment that case was decided, we have states that go into. Oh, it looked like they had it on the shelf, right? <laughs> <laughs> they just dusted it off. Man, you saw the filing the of different laws and policies across right. you know, states that historically had discriminated against blacks and women start to put that into action, and those laws were passed. Um, we saw what we call voter ID laws being passed. We saw the limiting of polling hours, polling locations, the right. uh, well, oh not. So, so basically, what uh, the John Lewis uh, Voter Rights Act looks looks to do is to basically restore right. what was taken away in the Voting uh, in Shelby County versus Holder from the Voting Rights Act of 1965.
0: Now, now the thing again, when you talk about history. You're talking about lineage. You're talking about this strain going through the DNA. Is that if you know something about the history of this country, again, the Constitutional Convention where the founders got together and were deciding and arguing about how the the nation should be structured? Yeah, this was the one of the major arguments of how much. And I'll just you know, at the risk of trying to simplify, because you know, I'll leave all the the history to you, but they were trying to define how much are you going to allow the states to have power to make decisions for themselves versus how much is the federal government to yeah. be able to override in order to keep the states held together? Because if you yeah. give the states too much power to do their own individual things, you can see very clearly how that would become very difficult to keep a nation together if every all of the states at that time, you know thirteen and so forth, now we got fifty going off and doing all their own different things, so that was the key concern, one of the you know one of the many key concerns, but that was a key one and so now you see the evidence of that concern all the way down, looking down into the future, you see the evidence of that concern of if individual states start doing and legislators start making their own different uh, voting uh, limitations and acts and so forth, you get this situation where people can easily, more easily become disenfranchised. And so now you're looking at state legislators have the ability to do what? Redistricting.
1: Absolutely.
0: So now if they change, <laughs> redistricting in a certain way, that can benefit a particular party over the other. And let's be clear, both parties do this. They both, when they have power, they change the districts to, to lean more towards their favor. But it creates this situation where you can now create districts that are much more favorable to one party over the other, which begins to disenfranchise people in those districts. So now the representative that you've sent to Congress is not really representing the your views, whether it be from a Black standpoint, whether it be from an a, in, in a regional standpoint, what's the regional concern for the people living there? And again, this goes right to the heart of one of the key arguments in a constitutional convention. So this is why history is so important, because the founders then were looking not only what was going on at that moment, but they were also looking off into the future. And here we are, in the future and actually now we're going back to the future in a lot of ways when it comes to this
1: i like that so maybe this should be entitled voting rights back to the future <laughs> but well you hit the nail on the head is that you know these laws just weren't made you know just with a whim right you know these laws these policies this constitution were created with a, with a view on the now the later Mm-hmm. And, and generations down the road, I mean. So when you start to understand that, now we can understand why the fight is so important. Right? Why, why, you know why is why it is not just in one locality, but it's across states and across the country. Now, look, I, I wanted to point something out when we talk about what states were doing. I, I, I like using North Carolina. But. North Carolina immediately started in implementing voter ID laws, just like uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia and other states, mm. uh, Texas and, and others, that started to do it. So what happened was the court itself, uh, the Supreme Court, uh, refused to uh, hear a case and, and, and uh, reestablish the law that was struck down for voter ID. Now, under this, in 2016, the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal actually Struck down the provisions of that law. And this mm-hmm. is what they said. This is the language used. And this is from an NPR.org article, but it's also pulled from the case itself. It basically states in its ruling, the the appeals court said the law was intentionally designed to discriminate against Black people. North Carolina legislators have requested data on voting patterns mm-hmm. by race. And with that data in hand, drafted a law that would quote, this is the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal, federal court, that's making this statement that would, quote, target African-Americans with almost surgical precision. Wow. (laughs) The court said. Now, you think this was like, what, 18, 1916, (laughs) 18, no, you know, this was 2016.
0: Wow. Right.
1: Now, just last. Back to the future. Right. Just a few months ago. You know, they did something very similar where well, the court refused to hear that 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 particular uh, law. So they're still trying, still trying. But I thought that was so telling that legislators requests bo- <laughs> voting data by race. You know, didn't disguise it.
0: Wow.
1: Give it to me by race. And then they end up creating the law, drafting law like that. That's what the 1965 Voting Rights Act was created to stop, right, and that's why the, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act is needed to restore.
0: You know, and it, and it's something about you know when you said that it's happening right in front of us, right in front of our faces, and it's happening so boldly and so blatantly, because I assume having as being a working journalist when I was dealing a lot with politicians. Again, the belief is that people are so distracted and so not paying attention that you can do things wide out into the open and folks won't really understand what it is because they get so, if you can use language to get people tied up into just talking points and certain issues that they should either be for or against, and if the politician is against that issue And you are forward, then that's it. That's that's not my person. I'm not voting for that person. Instead of being able to actually look carefully and sort of analyze what is actually going on. And a big thing is that it's the it's a numbers game. So we talk about different elections. We all know voter turnout, general election, because that's typically when the the people are excited about a president being um, elected. So there's more energy and there's more uh, vigor, people going out and voting for that. right? But then you have these midterm elections or you have these local elections, you know, where in actuality, they're probably more important to you in the scheme of what happens in your locality, you know, where you live, how your local taxes, state and local taxes are impacted or whatever the case may be. We get this low... Much lower voter turnout, so yeah. now these types of acts people they're not paying attention because they're thinking about well, you know it's not the presidential election or it's not big, but it's if you can get a an, a, an election where the turnout is smaller, what does that also mean? That also means that a smaller group of people yeah. can dominate that election so. As you look at, for example, the, the Trump election or the Trump base, as you hear them talking about, we all n- understand that that is a, actually a very small percentage of the country who really right. is going out and in, in leading insurrections and believing in so many of the things that Trump said. Yeah. But in a smaller turnout election, if they are riled up, if that small group is riled up, it can dominate that election, and th- and it's not just for. I just used the Trump group as the most recent example. Yeah. Prior to that, you had um, there's there's always been other you know uh, voting blocks. It was the or it was the Tea Party that that was prior to that, or you can just go again go into history. If you've got us an election where the voter turnout is smaller. That gives an advantage to a very well-organized, smaller block of individuals who may have views that are nowhere near the <laughs> majority of the views in that locality, in that state, in that whatever the case is. And if you don't come out and vote, right, now you you've, given seen, power to them. you've given power to them. Now yeah. they're making decisions and making policies and making uh, passing bills that you don't agree with and now you're wondering well what happened, Where, what, what, what's going on? What's going on is you allowed yourself to be disenfranchised, you did not come out and vote and yeah. by you sitting on the sidelines by you not analyzing what's going on and paying closer attention you've given the advantage to someone who is not going to uh, necessarily be voting and making decisions in your interest.
1: You know, Will, you you mentioned their passing policies. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: you brought up a very good point, you know, that you know, a lot of people don't think about. And I really didn't think about doing that. And I just started thinking about all mm-hmm. these policies that have started to become law because of that small vocal group, right? right. Occupy Wall Street. There was those right. like you said, then Tea Party. Then it was the individuals that started to push uh now the Trumpers. And then you have individuals that are now pushing the voter integrity, you know, <laughs> issue. You know, they have individuals that are pushing, you know, freedom, the freedom movement, with schools and mass mandate vaccine mandate, right,
0: right. That.
1: So is that, that small group that's getting everybody's attention, right? And that everybody's listening to, and that everybody's saying, "Hey, we want." change and we're going to go to the polls and galvanize. And in a a way, it's, of course, it, you know, creates manufacturers' fear, right? Uh, Until you actually vote and then you see that, hey, this wasn't an issue at all, right? Right.
0: (laughs) Fear moves (laughs) elections. Fear moves (laughs) elections. I mean, it it does, yeah.
1: Absolutely. You know, there was, i never forget, you know, there was an issue that, you know, Trump was running on and when he got elected, Mr. McConnell said, Oh, uh, we're not going to focus on that anymore. I mean, literally the next right. day, right. you know. But that was a plat—that was a campaign platform. He said, "Uh, we're good. We're not going to focus on that because we won." Now we got some real agenda stuff to take a look at. I want to take a look at some real agenda, some real policy that's passed. When you talk about what has happened, so I, I'm going to the Brennan Center for Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go know, to BrennanCenter.org, take a look at their research and reports. What I what I like to look at are voting laws roundup. So it takes a tally across and it really compiles a lot of this research right. in one area and, uh, based on a certain section. So as of May, 2021, and we're going to look at what's happened up close to this point. As of May, 2021, states had already enacted 20 laws this year. Wow. Which made it harder for Americans to vote. And keep in mind, most legislative sessions weren't even in session at that time. We still have right. over half that were going into session now. You have 14 states that enacted 22 new laws to restrict access to the voting block. Now this is on track to far exceed, far exceed the voter suppression of 2011. <laughs> keep in mind, 2011, we saw, of course, what took place then. We saw the Shelby County versus Holder case. We saw all of these cases come about to challenge the voting mechanism because of who was elected and the people that got out to vote, right? Right. Right. Then by October of that year in 2011, you had 19 restrictive laws enacted by 14 states. So you see this thing is, is wrapping up. Now, by June of this year, 2021, you had states that had already enacted 28 new laws to restrict access to the ballot box. And then from there, you had at least 61 restrictive provisions moving through 18 legislators, the legislatures. And then 31 had passed at least one chamber. Now, with that, basically overall, lawmakers have introduced 389 restrictive bills in 48 states Hmm. in 2021 legislative session by June of this year. All right? Now, when I say that 30 more had committee action, that means that it needed a hearing, an amendment, a committee vote, you know, those types of things before it was on the floor to be voted in all the time. So, (laughs) now, in in like manner, we've also had at least uh, states enact new laws that moved and provided access to the ballot box in a similar fashion. But here's the difference. Those laws that were enacted were in fewer states. Right. Laws to restrict were in more states. So that's where the difference comes in. And when we're talking about access to the voting voting uh, ballot or the ballot box, we're talking about longer hours, opening up voting for people right. you know, through the week like we have in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You can vote Monday uh, through Friday and then on Sundays. And now the last two weeks of every election, you can vote Monday through Sunday. That means you can go on Saturday and go vote as well. Right,
0: right, right.
1: You see what I'm saying? So when we talk about, you know, the power of the ballot box, we talk about the power of the people getting out there is in black and white. You know, you can't make this stuff up. They're putting these laws on the books because the system and those others that know how important it is to vote, important it is, and now you have, these laws restricting access to the ballot box to discourage you once again.
0: Now, people might say, well, how is it that these states are passing these laws? How is it that this is possible? I mean, they're passing There is such a high focus on restrictive laws. I mean, don't we have issues in our states with the economies of our states or with health care? Isn't there other issues that are going on? So I know voters are probably to hear that and say, well, how is that possible? Where do these people come from? Well, You want to know where they came from? They came from, they ran for election in your state, right? During a time where you weren't really paying that close attention, apparently, to what they were campaigning on and what their policies were and what they really believe, right? And so now... as they gain positions in, in in government, and then they caucus with other like-minded folk because it's a concerted e- effort with uh, lobbyists behind it, with different interests behind it. There are people who spend, uh, who are paid and spend a tremendous amount of their time focused on how do we run certain candidates into certain areas, so we can combine forces, gain a, a majority vote to move certain policies in the ways that we believe. There are people who are on a 24-hour basis thinking about these issues, or they have people who, who they paid to think about these issues and to strategize. And so, again, about we're talking about the importance historically of voting rights and the attack on voting rights and particularly the importance of the Black vote. If you're not paying attention in these smaller elections or these midterm elections or these local elections in your community, then this is where things happen and you get policies like these getting passed and you wonder, well, where was I at? When did that happen? Well, it happened right while you were right there and it was going on right in front of your face and you weren't paying attention. Like, for example, you know, one of my pet peeves, you're talking about my old state, Virginia, is that If you ever notice, you don't see judges in Virginia running for office. Nope. Right, okay, so someone says, oh, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, uh, the big deal about that is it means that the judges in Virginia are appointed. Okay, so they're appointed by who? Well, they're appointed by people in the legislature, in the General Assembly. Yeah. Well, why is that important? Well, if the majority of people who are of a party that you you don't necessarily uh, uh affiliate with or they or majority of people have policies that you don't necessarily agree with, guess what? Those are the people who are going to be appointing the judge that you may find yourself in front of if you have to come before the court with a personal matter. So what does that mean? Well? That means the judges are going to be, the judges are human. So while they're sitting on the bench practicing, they're going to be making decisions that are going to do, guess what you think those decisions that they make are going to, they're going to be thinking about when they make those decisions. They're going to be thinking about potentially, well, how does this decision potentially affect whether or not I can get appointed? If you don't think that that really goes on, then I don't know what what a world you're living in, but these are the types of things that are intricate things that go on that could have a direct effect on your life. What's your chances of standing before a president of the United States or that president making a policy that's really gonna affect your house, right directly affect your household, as opposed to you standing before a judge in the state of Virginia who was appointed by a legislator who maybe is of a party, right, maybe of a point of view that you don't necessarily agree with. So when we see these kinds of laws coming down, whether it be abortion rights, whether it be voting rights, whether it be whatever, again, you can't separate the judges and the people who have to make decisions on these after the politicians have made the decision. You can't separate. And I would argue that Many of the judges, and I'm not going to blanket all of them. Many of the judges in Virginia are also politicians, and how they operate on the
1: bench—it's just, so, just by nature of how it's set up. Yeah,
0: it's just by and, nature of how it's set up.
1: You know, to your point, uh, the Commonwealth is one of two states That's that right. has that process of only two: Advisement and appointment, right? So, other in a lot of states, judges are are, are elected. And so that means you're only accountable to the group, the small group of individuals that advises to be appointed. <laughs> so you're not really accountable to the people. Now, of course, outside of you know high crimes and misdemeanors, you're, you're only um, accountable to them. Some people say that's fair. Some say not. You know, I'm not going to uh, get it. We're not getting. But only
0: that. two. But there are only two states of the union yeah. that have. That, that continue to have that policy, because that policy was a lot more popular prior to, but you got only two out of 50. Again, we are a democracy with the majority supposed to rule. If you see the majority, in this case, the overwhelming majority is doing it in another other way. That should tell you something about, you know, but again, uh, to your point, and that's the point I was trying to make, you get a small group of people who are making a decision Uh on these large groups of judges within the entire state that you and I as as individuals or individuals may have to come before to decide a serious matter in your life. This is why votes and getting out in voting counts. This is why it's so vital.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and I want to take a quick look at um, the voting trends of the youth because we always talk about the youth of the future, which is true they are mm-hmm. and take a look at how they're looking at this. So let's take a look at these trends. You know, we had the Obama election, which saw a major uptick of, of, uh, youth of color right? And, and people just overall vote in this election because they saw someone that represented them on many levels, right? Many levels, a uh, son of, of an immigrant and American citizen, Right. Uh, he was a, a biracial child who identified as Black, as African American, experienced, raised by his white grandparent, that his mother unfortunately passed of cancer, struggling to pay for it through fighting the health uh, insurance company to pay for it, which I believe was so near and dear to his heart to push that legislation uh, through when he first got into office. Uh, also, not only that, but then we also saw his family. You know, it was a family that we could identify with, Will. Uh, some of the African Americans raised on the south side of Chicago. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You know, uh, father and mother in the house working, blue collar workers worked with their kids through college, right? To get the American dream and the right. both her and her brother, right? And then how beautiful it was, and I, I get, I say this all the time, you know, uh, of course, her father passed, his wife's father and his father in law. Right. But how beautiful it was that they were able to move the grandmother. <laughs> it yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Robert. Yeah. Yeah. Great years of help, you know. And
0: August, August Wilson couldn't have wrote a better story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And she wasn't the help either. She was yeah, actually right. the mm-hmm. grandmother uh that was there uh helping to raise her granddaughters during that very uh magical time, but it was also a trying time because you're you're in a bubble. That's a very highly compressed and controlled office uh where their childhoods could have been affected. But I, again I just Even when I think about that, I just like to reminisce about that because how beautiful it is because we know that connection between our grandparents and our parents and the kids and and how that struggle is being blue collar, you want the best for your children and it happened, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. It
1: it happened. So we saw that push, but I want to take a look at 2016 compared to 2020 and we're going to take a look at what the future is. So looking at uh, Circle Tufts, uh, Tufts Tisch College, their uh, election center, 2020 election center, it takes a look at the national youth voter turnout. Hmm. And of the national youth voter turnout, basically of youth available to vote, you have 50% vote in 2020, as opposed to 39% that voted in 2016. Hmm. Right. And when you break it down uh, by in the general election, of course, how they have it here, through voter turnout, they estimated that 50% of youth voter in 2020, uh, again, an increase from 2016. The vote choice, and this is the point you want to get to 61% of that 50% voted for Joe Biden. Mm. And 37% voted for Donald Trump. Okay. So, voter turnout by race, ethnicity, and gender. White youth voted at the highest rate in 2020 It's 61%. But youth of color, they say, appeared to be narrowing the historical gap. And of course, mm. you're talking basically population, right? Right. And education. So young women voted at 55%, at a higher rate than young men, 44%. Also, vote choice by race and ethnicity, there were major vote choices between race and ethnicity. 87% of Black youth voted for Biden, mm. compared to only 51% for white. Okay. You take a look at voter history, 20% of young people voted in 2020 were first-timers, and that's significant. Hmm. First-timers in 2020. So ask yourself, would Joe Biden would have won if first-time voters were not as high as it was? Yeah, I know you know. yeah. Now, of that, 40% had voted in 2012 and 2016, and 40% had voted in 2016 and 2018. We're talking 2018. Midterm elections, right? And then when you talk about this voter impact on closed races, look at the states according to Tisch College's uh, uh, analysis here. In states like Georgia, Pennsylvania, mm. and Arizona, i.e., the three states that were the battlegrounds, right? Select, right. It said that guess which vote were instrumental in being the swing? Young. Black and Latino voters mm. were the swing votes in those tight races for Joe
0: Biden. Right. Importance of the black vote, importance of access. So, if you can limit the access of that and target with precision that group, you can have a very, very different election is what those things are saying. You know, and the other thing is just that's really, I think about that because the numbers are, are striking, but it also makes me think about why is it was it so close in terms of when you look at the candidates and you look at the people who are running and, and especially, you know, me being a New Yorker and growing up all my life and, and being very familiar with Trump. And it's like, how, why is it so close? But again, When you start doing the analysis and you start looking at what is really happening with people's lives, black, white or whatever, you start to understand that the system and that previous elections and previous administrations have not necessarily been working for a lot of people. And so people are beginning to look for anybody who is going to at least appear to be championing their interests their goals to maybe change the situation in their lives. And a lot of books have been coming out about Trump and the election, how he won, how he lost, the insurrection, all of these things. Some of the interesting things that people are paying attention and that they see in some of these profiles of the so-called Trumpers, a lot of them voted previously for Obama. Yeah. How how do you it's like so how how do you how do you reconcile that? It's like how do you reconcile it? So now when you just call them racist or you just say that it was a, a white lass is why is why Trump won. It's like no, you, you got to start looking at the conditions under people which people are are living and how people are feeling about systems and institutions and whether or not the government is really working for them and start putting together a message that speaks to that in some way, in yeah. some meaningful way. And I, I just find that interesting. It's, and then you have Obama's vice president now running and it's still so close. And you have some of these people who previously voted for Obama who are now voting for Trump. At some point, you have to just stop trying to simplify it and say, well, they're just all racist, or they're just all ignorant, or just this, just this, or just that, or just that, we're so polarized, and they're just uh, drinking the Kool-Aid from, you know, right-wing media, so forth. At some point, you have to start really analyzing what's really going on here. What is really the conditions that the people are finding? And... Are some of these decisions being made because someone is at least tapping into their feeling that they're being ignored? They're not being addressed at all. And can you, if you think about that as a politician and you come at it honestly and you come with policies honestly, that would, I think that what you would start to find is that a lot more Americans would be coming together around common interests and common goals than you might think. We are in a very polarized situation. The internet makes it much, much easier for people to just get fed, you know, red meat or blue meat, you know, depending on where they're at. But I, t- I tell you, you can't uh, just, or you ought not to just ignore that, that it, yeah. there are a lot of people who previously voted for other candidates who are saying, hey, I'm, I'm putting my hat over here Because my life didn't change when I put my hat in with the other guy.
1: Absolutely. You know, Will, you come to a very important point, you know, because we have midterm elections coming up uh, here, you know, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's the uh, off year that is Mm -hmm. right after one year after the presidential election and one year before the midterm national election. And people usually utilize Virginia as the litmus test of policies, campaign Slogans and stances that individuals could run by, you know. So what we see here in the Commonwealth, you see a very close a race that wasn't close, but became close uh, at the top of the ticket. What we call the gubernatorial race, right. um, which thereby also made the attorney general lieutenant governor race also close as well. So when you talk when you mention, it may not be just individuals for party loyalty that are switching over. But they're looking at policy. In other words, are they seeing things change for them? As a matter of fact, again, going back to uh, the importance of the youth vote. uh, And again, I'm looking at Tufts, uh, the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement uh, called CIRCLE. Uh, They saw in the 2018 midterm elections that the youth voter turnout was estimated at 28 percent of eligible voters. Age mm. 18 to 29 cast a ballot mm. in that time period, which doubled their estimate of 13 percent in 2014. Right. Now you ask yourself, why are teens now, what well, we call it, well, youth, being involved? Of course, we know 18 year olds and you know 19 year olds still so teens, but why are the youth, the future, so engaged in midterm elections at this high rate? So they mm. came out of 2016; they were getting ready for 2020. We saw that upward trajectory, and I think we're going to continue to see it. Why is that? It's because when you now understand and get a taste of your power to vote, you're looking to push and change the narrative for those individuals who are delivered. Right. You know, one thing that uh, the current president ran on was student loan forgiveness. <laughs> right, right. You know, and this group that I just mentioned, 18 to 29. That's
0: a, that's a big issue. That's a that huge
1: issue. issue for them. Right. Will, I would say this probably, other than getting back to school, right, is the number one issue that's hindering a lot of college-age kids.
0: So if he doesn't deliver on that, right, you, you can rest assured that a lot of them are going to start looking at another candidate who, if they can articulate it correctly and they can make a promise that they will believe that they'll deliver on it, you might have some people jump in ship, obviously.
1: Absolutely. Now, if you look at the 2018 and going back to this graph, 67% of that 28% voted Democrat.
0: Hmm.
1: 32% voted Republican. Hmm. And that's showing still that trend, right? That trend going this way. Hmm. You know, this way for Democrats, this way for Republicans, right? right. <laughs> you know, because of the policies. But right. I believe, I believe you're going to start to see that shift. When you start talking about common ground, right. who is that leader that's going to rise up and say, listen, you know, I believe that we have more things in common than we have apart from each other. Let's come together on these common sense policies that impact us all in a positive way so that we can all, all boats can then rise with the tide as opposed to those without boats drowning and a tidal wave or tsunami taken under those who are barely holding on, right? I think when you get that politician, that leader, that public servant that rises up to that particular point where, you know, the infighting has to stop, the uh, bitter uh, partisan uh, shakedowns, all that has to stop. I think you're going to see a change in just not only party elections, but a change in the voting electorate as a whole, that they're going to start casting their vote for common sense policy for common problems and common issues. Or a
0: And I think that it may come down to, it may not come down to a large slate of common ground issues. It may come down to one or two real key issues yeah. that either side can jump on board on, that either side can go into the booth and hold its nose, right, and vote for the guy that is going to push that issue. And so as we look at what's going on with the economy, we look at what the pandemic has wrought. Um there's a lot of common pain yeah. that people have experienced. So to your point, if somebody can come in and speak to that common pain and it doesn't have to be a large slate of issues and that frustration that people have about both of these parties failing to really be able to govern and legislate and move things forward, I think you're going to have some possibilities because you can only stay in, in this position, in this state that we're in now for so long. It, there's going to be uh, a sea change. And again, when you talk about the history of this country, the history of how things work, the different movements and changes, and it's, it's inevitable that that kind of change is going to come.
1: Well, I I think you're right. So the question now becomes, from Obama to Trump to Biden, now the future. So when we talk about the future, we talk about voting trends, again, as the years pass by, as we add four more years upon all of our lives in voting, just in general, we're getting older, right? Right. Our decisions and our, our responsibilities in life are changing. Right as we become empty nesters, as kids be, and go through college and graduate hopefully right. right. with no debt, we're praying, you know, right. and working toward that. And and as we start focusing more on retirement, we start focusing more on uh, leaving a legacy.
0: That's right. Got to finish well.
1: Yeah, you got. Listen, you got to finish well, you know. And and we start to focus on that. That group becomes a niche group. Hmm. But that group also becomes a very influential group. Right. But we have a much larger group between that 18 and 55 or 18 right. and 45 that is going to be the majority of voters. Hmm. And, and listen, politics is a numbers game. You know, just like old segregationists had to, to do a bow face <laughs> to stay elected. <laughs> 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 you know, politicians are good at doing about face and whatever's popular. That's what they're gonna do. I, I remember, you know, when you had uh, the old school Democrats supporting uh, Hillary Clinton during that uh, election time period, and I remember it, you know. And then all of a sudden, they made prime time speeches saying, "I see the the changing wave." You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this young man, and Barack Obama, was coming up. I yeah.
0: covered that, man. I covered. You're absolutely right. I covered that election. I remember. I remember people, folk, some folk staunch Democrats, like you said, old schoolers that were saying, we don't even know this guy. Many of us, (laughs) many of us got into uh, government and got into the administration through the Clinton administration, through Bill Clinton's administration. We don't know this guy. And then all of a sudden, like you said, oh, I see change. Absolutely, (laughs) they, They got on board. Again, politicians, that's the nature of politics. People would have never thought they would have heard. George Wallace who in the 60s was saying uh segregation today tomorrow forever that that type of thing you go p- go on YouTube and pull up some of George Wallace's uh, uh speeches you know in, in later in life and you see, you were just like how would have how would this guy have ever gotten to this point again politics makes strange bedfellows and you know and money talks yeah. And you know you you know the other side of that uh that saying too, but Absolutely. but we about to bring it home. I think uh, producer our, our producer Ben Big Ben man, shout out to you. Uh, Season one now we in season two. I think he's gonna want us to start uh, wrapping this up.
1: Absolutely, you know. Again, hats off to Ben Bailey, our producer, who definitely keeps us on point. Mm-hmm. The designs that you see. Uh, The shows themselves, uh, absolutely phenomenal producer, Uh, and again, we're in in season two of *The Bees and and this is our opportunity as friends, uh, as colleagues. Um, (laughs) We've shared a lot of time together over the years. Um, It's been almost ten years now uh, that we're approaching, you know, being colleagues and friends. So,
0: well, I don't look a day (laughs) older.
1: Not at all. (laughs) Listen, we we both age uh, very well, right? So. Just great genius. But but again, it's this type of engagement because we got to pass this on. You know, we have to be able to talk upfront, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, in good faith about issues that are affecting us. And I think talking about it from an educated black male perspective growing Definitely. up, you know, in, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, going through integration, That's professional right. uh, from the 80s and 90s and the 2000s and, they, and coming on this side well, we think we got to figure it figured out, right? That's right, right. <laughs> you know, so we're, we're we're working to, you know, really discuss a lot of these issues. But listen, you know, Luis Encombe wouldn't be what we are without you, the supporters. I mean, so go to our social media, engage us, catch every episode. And, of course, we have publications that are coming out uh, at the end of season two. So get ready for that. Uh, more to come about that. But As we close, the importance of voting is a a topic, as I stated earlier, that's not just important now, it's important today, it's important tomorrow, it's important for my children, my grandchildren, and my children's children. children. That's right. You know, because it is the most powerful tool, according to John Lewis, that we have in our democracy. And by utilizing that powerful tool, we can speak with our voices, we can speak Uh, with our our conviction and we can speak by moving the public policy, by moving the Dow toward progress Mm. that's good for all. Again, common problems with common solutions on common ground is what's really going to get our country not just continue to move but to stand greater today than it did yesterday and it will stand even greater tomorrow.
0: That's the way it is.
1: So, again, follow us on social media, uh, click us on Facebook, like us, share it, uh, and let us know how we're doing. And am LaViste and Claville. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of LaViste and Claville. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. For information or to connect with LaViste and Claville. Check out our website at www.lavisteplaville.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to at the Laviste and Claville on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. This has been the latest episode of Laviste and Claville.